Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Hello, and welcome back to Soft Black Women, presented by The Betcha Sup. I'm your host, Dr. Akila Kaday, and each and every Friday on Soft Black Women, we'll be talking about a range of topics from pop culture to politics to how we live our lives, of course, through the lens of intersectionality. But today, this is a special episode because I am off being a soft black woman on vacation. Hopefully, because if you can hear from my very sexy voice, I have a cold, or is it COVID? to be solved and determined. But for now, I'm very excited to introduce my guest, Jenna Reish. She is a registered nurse for over a decade, working in many different specialty areas such as internal medicine, trauma, my favorite, kidney transplant, oncology, leukemia, bone marrow transplant. She's done it all. It took over four years, but Jenna's medical background gave her the knowledge and skills to navigate how to finally get good care after she was diagnosed with endometriosis. With her love for healthcare, education, and teaching, she felt inspired to use her abilities to help other women understand the disease better. And she does that as executive director of the Endo Co or Endometrius Coalition. She is the author of Part of You, Not All of You, Shared Wisdom and Guided Journaling for Life with Chronic Illness. I'm so excited to welcome Jenna to the show. Hey, Jenna. Thanks so much for having me. So excited to be here. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. So for the listeners, we've known each other for a couple years now through social media. It brought us together. Well, we connected over our heart conditions. You're like my fellow heart sister. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, like being black women who have to navigate the healthcare system. I have the health administration background. You are the clinical provider background came together. So, so happy to have you here. Thank you. You were actually the first Black woman that I that I met that had any other heart issues going on. So I was so excited what? when I found your page. Yes. Yeah. No way. Uh-huh. Oh. My first heart, friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is such an honor. I Well, see, this is why both of us talk about the health conditions we have and how we navigate because there's so many times where we can feel alone or we see people or even know people who don't have shared intersectionality and identity. And so through something that is both very painful and frustrating, I can't even count the endless amount of heart monitor chats that we've had. (laughs) (laughs) There's some softness in that connection of knowing like, you know, we have something together. Absolutely. I think just like, seeing a face that looks more similar to mine going through what I'm going through, which just mm-hmm. really helped me through my journey. So thank you for sharing everything like I do. You're welcome. Well, in honor of you, <laughs> I have all of the body parts of those who identify as women. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> on for you. So I would love for you to share a little bit about I mean, there's so many things to start with you, but let's start with the Endoco. And why was it important to start the coalition? Yeah, so I started the Endometriosis Coalition, or the Endoco for short, back in 2017. So I had just come out on the other side of my journey navigating endometriosis and going through like 
years of being dismissed and not finding the right care and not finding the right information. In total, it took me about four years from when my symptoms started to when I finally got the proper surgery. And at this time, I was like six or seven years into my career. So, you know, I understood health pretty well, I would say. I understood how to navigate the healthcare system. I was actually part of the system I was working at. So I like had connections and it still took me so long. I wasn't finding accurate information. I was getting conflicting information and it became really clear to me like, oh, I don't know that the doctors I'm seeing truly understand this disease and what it's like from a patient perspective. And I realized when I was well enough to really you know, reflect on that journey that if it was that hard for me, being a nurse and being connected to find the right care to get the right resources, then I couldn't even imagine how much more difficult that would be for someone who wasn't me that didn't have any of that. So that's kind of where the idea for the Endoco started. I really took a lot of time to think about like where I wanted to show up in the advocacy space for endometriosis. So I actually Googled, should you start a nonprofit? <laughs> and it was actually, it was actually gave really good uh, recommendation. It said, if you're, if you're offering something that doesn't already exist, then yes, that's a great way to go. But if you're offering something that exists already and you can just supplement somebody else's work, then maybe it's better to just volunteer and not start your whole own organization. I felt like in the endometriosis space, there wasn't an organization that truly represented the patient perspective that was by patient, for patient, all patient focused. You had a lot of intermixing of like research and provider led. And I felt it was missing that voice of people who truly understood like what it's like to live this day to day and what do we truly need and what's really helpful to us. And that's where I felt we could um, fill a gap for the endoco. So our slogan is, patient-formed, patient-focused. And that's really what we try to do with all of our initiatives is like keep the patient at the forefront. So our, our mission is actually to raise awareness, promote reliable education, and increase research funding from endo, but that's always from a patient-led perspective. So for the listeners, a patient-led perspective is something that doesn't always happen with these nonprofits. They could be led by people who don't have the lived experience, the intersectionality to really understand the disease, the condition, whatever it may be. And so making sure that there's that patient's lens in there allows for the areas of focus that you have that are important for furthering research and care, and more importantly, compassion for those who do have endometriosis. And so I would love for you to share like what endometriosis is, since some people think it's just like a thing that you have, but they may not realize how debilitating and how it can lead to multiple comorbidities. Absolutely. So endometriosis is a full body inflammatory condition where cells that are similar to the lining of the uterus end up in other places in the body. And to date, it's been found on every single organ of the body. So it's as much as people believe it, it's just relegated to the pelvis. That is not true. It's a, it's a full body disease. So I think some people will be like, wait, what? How is it a full body disease? But the way you explain it, it's a full body inflammatory condition and it shows up. I think this also is why it leads to a longer diagnosis and misdiagnosis as well. Well, I'm curious, do you feel that providers, clinicians tend to localize endometriosis to that? You're, you're nodding your head. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that it's, it's just only period pain. And I don't say only to diminish period pain. 
but it's so much more than that. I think the fact that providers aren't looking at its effects, especially that like inflammatory effect on the entire body that can mimic so many other things is how it gets so easily missed. I always say, I, I think I'm so immersed in this world. I always say, I, I don't know how it could be so hard to miss. Because <laughs> to me, when, when I hear people say, oh, I've had this, 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 I'm like, you have endo. I don't even need to hear anything more. <laughs> but I think it, it, it could be that simple if we were all on the same page as far as how much it affects the entire body and not just the pelvis. Totally. I mean, that's why... I, I really enjoy what you share on social media and I do the same, which is talking about what's going on with my health and what the symptoms are, what I'm experiencing, why things are happening. I recently did some talks and was talking about my coronary artery spasms and I cannot tell you how many people came up to me afterwards and they're like, okay, I've had this and this and this. And I'm like, you, you most likely have coronary artery spasms. Yeah, but they're telling me it's, you most likely have it. So, you know, keep pushing, <laughs> you know, to do the work, look at your own, you know, research. And I know doctors are like, oh, you Googled. So now you know everything. But it's really important to be informed. And it's something that the Endoco does as well. You help inform people what they need to know, the questions to ask so that they can get closer to diagnosis and the care that they need. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying, he loves airplanes, he loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. With endometriosis, is it important to catch it early on? Or catch it whenever. Yeah, no. So the earlier you're diagnosed and the sooner you get proper care, the better off you'll be. The longstanding inflammation throughout the whole body, we know inflammation is like the worst thing for us. And so we're seeing now that a lot of people with endometriosis end up with secondary autoimmune diseases from that inflammatory process that's gone on for so long. But also the disease itself causes adhesions or like scar tissue. So it can make organs stick together. And then that can be a whole other level of complications. And the longer the disease is just left to grow, the more issues and the more difficult it'll be to have a successful surgery. So the earlier, the better. We like to say like first surgery done right, done early is, is the goal. And you don't want your organs to stick together, if anyone's wondering? No. Like, you, you don't <laughs> no, want that. <laughs> um, no, you, you don't want that. Um, they're not meant to. No. Uh, and it, it, a lot of people actually end up with just as much or if not more pain from that process, the organs sticking together than the disease itself. So it really does just cause, it just wrecks the body, truly. And so, yeah, yes. We know what body wrecking is like. Um, <laughs> 
So <laughs> I want to talk about Below the Belt, a documentary yeah. produced by Senator Elizabeth Warren, Hillary Clinton, Rosario Dawson, and more. And you're one of the features. And are you a producer too? No, no, just, just a subject. Just a subject. They just follow <laughs> my life. So tell the listeners about this important piece of, of film and this documentary and and what that whole experience was like for you as a subject, seeing it. So Below the Belt is the first film of its kind where it actually looks at the lives of those living with endometriosis. So the filmmaker producer, her name is Shannon Cohn. She's a lawyer turned filmmaker who also has endometriosis has young girls and decided she wanted to use her filmmaking abilities to put out something that would really mobilize not just healthcare, but the general public policy, all of that. Her first film, Endo What, came from more of a educating the patient perspective. And this film, Below the Belt, was meant for the mainstream, for them to really truly understand what it is that people like myself go through and the hurdles that we face. And just these overarching themes of healthcare in America and how women's health is like really stigmatized and underfunded uh, no in america right? yeah not here no mm-hmm. way no not way <laughs> I, I feel like alicia silverstone and clueless no way no how <laughs> As <if>. right. <laughs> um, but it's all through the lens of endometriosis so it, it, it focuses on this disease but i think that almost any woman out there with any disease can look at it and see themes and things that they've faced such as dismissal and gaslighting and, and all the things we face when we show up in the healthcare system. So it follows myself and three other women from different backgrounds along different journeys of our endometriosis care. It follows us all over the course of 10 years. Wait, 10 years? Yeah, yeah. So you really see like so many different aspects of wow. what we all went through over this time. My now husband and I, at the time we were filming, he was, yes. he was only my boyfriend. Yeah. So <laughs> glad that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. It would have been awkward if we had to cut him out in the middle of the movie. Um, but no, we made it to the end. Uh, so, so. <laughs> like, can you can you take him out um, and replace some of those yeah. other things so much? <laughs> uh, so followed, my journey followed the two of us because at the time I was in California. I didn't have any family around me because I'm not from California. And so it was basically him and I trying to figure this thing out together. And it shows the hurdles we faced and the dismissal and the constant hospital admissions and no answers and insurance denial for surgeries. It it really covered everything. And I feel like for the first time, I always had very supportive friends and family throughout my journey, but I think that film was the first time that they all really, really, truly saw like what our day-to-day was like, not what they saw when I put on the smile and put on the face in front of them to show up to whatever event I drug myself to, but like what it was like behind the scenes, what we were dealing with. And so many people would come up to me and say like, I, I knew it was bad, but I had no idea it was that bad. Yeah. Uh, so, so I have so many questions for you. What was that like to be followed? And it's not consistently, but on and off for 10 years what was that type of vulnerability like? Yeah. I mean, at first it was a little bit uncomfortable. At the time, I didn't know Shannon all that well. So it was almost like a stranger following following my uh, husband and I around. But obviously over time and over the years, we formed just a really, really, really sweet relationship. And she felt more like family. So it was a lot easier to just almost 
ignore the fact that she was there, honestly. And I think that that relationship that her and I formed is what allowed my experience to be very, very, very authentic because I wasn't thinking about how I was going to come off or what she was going to do with the footage. I trusted her and I trusted she'd, she'd tell my story correctly and, and well. Yeah. And then what was that like? I'll just ask as someone who's single and hates it. What is it like to have someone who's <laughs> supportive? Because, you know, like you said, it's it's you can have your friends and your family who understand, but having that type of close, intimate relationship with so many chronic things that are going on and the ups and downs and the hospital stays and the ER visits and all of that, like, what do you think made it make sense? Like, how how did that feel for you to have that support? And what was that differentiating factor in him that I need to look for as I date? How about that? um well my my husband joe is an actual earth angel my entire family joe can say he's an angel sent from god because (laughs) it just it makes no sense how amazing this man has been we barely knew each other when i started this journey i had my very first laparoscopy about two weeks before we met i was recovering from that surgery when we went on our second date side note had no business going on this date with him he invited me to the movies like couple days post laparoscopy. And I was like, I shouldn't go anywhere. But I also want to feel good or joy. Yeah. I was like, if I don't go on the seat, like, I think that this thing might fizzle out. So I just like forced myself to go to the movie. Did you meet prior to your surgery? We did. We met two weeks before. Were you swiping? Uh, no, we met at a bar in Hollywood, very organically. IRL. What? (laughs) Yes. I know that never happened. That's the best type of swiping in real life. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. We met in real life. He had asked me on a second date and I was like, oh, I'm going to be out of commission for a little bit because I had my surgery scheduled already. Yeah. And he was like, where are you going? I'm like, ah. so you didn't tell <laughs> we'll him talk about that some other time. I didn't tell him anything. Wow. I didn't tell him a thing. Yeah. So he didn't learn about any of this until about a month into our relationship. My symptoms had gotten, it was in the middle of a flare that my doctor was like, you need to take the week off of work. I don't want you doing anything. And I, and I had to explain to him why I was just home because I usually go to work every day. And all of a sudden I wasn't going to work every day. And so when I brought up the conversation, it was like, oh, well, I have this thing. And sometimes it makes me feel kind of bad, but like, you know, just really diminishing, diminishing Mm -hmm. it. Didn't really go into detail about what it is, but it became very clear to him very early on that like, oh, this is, this is a little bit bigger of a thing than, than she let it on to be. But he never, there was never a question about, is he going to be with me through this? He just was. And so- I never had to have a conversation. We never sat down and said, like, here's what's going on. And like, here's your out if you want to be out. He was just, right? Like, he was just there. And it was just an unspoken decision that, like, we were going to take this this on together. Wait, so is, is, like, your next book going to be about your love story? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it should be because I do get a lot of questions. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same, with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. 
Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. I think personally there has to be continual representation of love when someone has chronic illness or disability. So that can just change how people view that in the zeitgeist, right? So there's this misconception that people who are chronically ill or live with disability or both, that they don't want to have sex. They aren't sexual. They don't want to love. They don't want to have intimacy. They don't want to have partnership. And I think we just need more of that. How do you manage so many comorbidities? And do you mind, do you want to share? I know you share them on social media, but how do you, how do you manage that? What are they? Yeah. So endometriosis was my initiation into the world of chronic illness. That was the very first <laughs> thing I, I ever experienced. Coronary artery spasms for me. Yes. <laughs> oh, that came a little later for me. <laughs> I was like very healthy up until I was 27. That was when all of this changed. And then I was very wow. not healthy, just like almost overnight. So I didn't really even have any time to like except being sick. It was just like, I was super healthy running marathons and then I just wasn't anymore. Mm-hmm. So it started with endometriosis and I, I had primarily endometriosis on my diaphragm. Mm. So it was affecting the muscle that helps me breathe. So yeah. it was chest pain and shortness of breath every time I would have my period. So it was, it was very life disrupting. And then I developed GI issues from multiple abdominal surgeries for endometriosis. So I ended up with something called small intestine bacterial overgrowth. No. Yeah. Yeah. And it's common in the endometriosis population just from the lack of motility that ends up happening through our GI system from all the scar tissue Mm -hmm. and from the repeat surgeries. So that was a whole journey post endometriosis of nausea and constipation and brain fog and fatigue Mm. and not being able to eat and losing weight and it took about two years to figure that out, to figure out what was going on and the best way to treat it. Then when we got to the other side of that, um, I learned that I had congenital heart issues that I was born with that didn't start showing themselves until I was in my early 30s. So that was something called, I had an anomalous coronary artery and a myocardial bridge. And the bridge is what caused my coronary artery spasms. And that's how you and I can because oh. uh, I had open heart surgery for that. Yeah. I like how you say yeah. that so casually. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just had open heart surgery in 2019. No big deal. That's that's how I found you. So the spasms <laughs> were a comorbidity from the congenital anomaly. And this is all separate from any of the other stuff that I went through. And then once I got on the other side of that, I was diagnosed with lupus in 2021. And knock on wood, fingers crossed, that is the last <laughs> diagnosis for me. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's my roster. Well, thank you for sharing that. I, I I think we're amazing. I just want to put that out there. I just got my third rare disease diagnosis, and mm-hmm. I have angioplasty on deck. So not quite cool like you, oh. but you know, a little, little bit of angioplasty. Yeah. And I'm going to have my first abdomen surgery. Okay. Too. Oh my gosh. My blood supply is currently 
cut off, limited to my stomach. So they have to go in there and Ugh. open it up. Yeah. And I've, in my six years, it'll be six years this month of chronic illness and disability. I've never stayed the night at a hospital. And I'm like, well, okay. what do I wear? <laughs> Cause I'm, I need to style this. It's something that makes me feel good. <laughs> so if I can give you a little tip. Yeah. The food's terrible. I, I have no I tips for that. <laughs> DoorDash. Um. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I've been around the hospital stay block quite a few times. And I found one of the things that makes me feel so much better about the whole thing is, is bringing my own pajamas to sleep in. Oh, yeah. No, totally. Ones that the nurses can access everything, like one yeah. of the buttons so that you can get to your IVs and your incisions and all of that. But that was one thing that I always felt like made me feel like me. And I made it a thing where I would get like surgery pajamas. Oh, and the yeah. nurses would compliment me on them. And it just made me feel better. So if you can find oh, yeah. some cute, cute pajamas. When I have a surgery, I wear the Aquila nap dress by Hill House Home. Thank you, Nell. Oh, yeah. So cute, by the way. Thank you. But it's easy to put stuff on. It's easy to take on and off. And I always get compliments. People are like, I've never seen anyone dress up for <laughs> surgery or procedure. I'm like, welcome <laughs> yeah. to my life. But it does make a difference <laughs> to have that happen. Those gowns do nothing for anyone. So if no. you have something that makes you feel a little better about yourself, I no. think. No, and if I'm going to be ass out, I will charge for that. I don't, you know. <laughs> I would love for you to share what you think is the biggest myth about endometriosis. So we know that, you know, people think it's central to the pelvis or, you know, the uterus. But what else do you think is the biggest myth? Yeah. So I think another one is that it only affects people in their reproductive age, that it doesn't affect teenagers or doesn't affect people postmenopause. And that is not true. So a lot of teens are yeah. overlooked. So many women that I talk to will say that they had symptoms before their periods even started, 11 years old, 12 years old. And no one thought about endometriosis because they didn't start menstruation yet. So I think that that directly adds to the delay in diagnosis. And then postmenopause, women saying, well, they told me I can't have endo anymore because I'm, I, you know, right. I don't get a period anymore. Right. It's like, no, it's not. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't just go away because your period stops. You still have organs. Yeah, you still have <laughs> organs. And as long as those lesions are there, you still have the disease. Right. So I think that those, those two misconceptions keep people suffering for a lot longer than they, they need to. No, absolutely. Speaking of suffering... <laughs> You spent a lot of time navigating the healthcare system, not only as a Black woman, but also as a knowledgeable Black woman, as a provider, a clinician, as a nurse. And some of this has come into your book, Part of You, Not All of You. Is there a time within your healthcare experience where it's like a real life thing that you went through that someone wouldn't have believed of what you experienced? So. Like I found, you know, people don't believe me in general, and I've had horrific things happen because they don't believe mm -hmm. maybe in the chart, blah, 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 all that stuff. There's definitely, there's two actually times that come to mind, and it was all tied to my heart issues when I was trying to, again, figure out what was wrong with me and going on Facebook groups to find where I should be getting care, all of that stuff that come with rare conditions. And I was admitted to a hospital in Los Angeles. And at the time, I, what I was presenting with was shortness of breath, chest pain, and I kept having these like pre-passing out spells Ooh. when I would work out. Yeah, like textbook heart stuff. Yeah. And I knew I had these heart conditions, but no one had ever really looked into how they were affecting me. So in the back of my mind, I knew these things existed, 
But, you know, when you're in the hospital, they have to do their due diligence and look for anything and everything else it could possibly be and not just assume it's, you know, whatever you've been dealing with forever. At least you hope that's what what they'll do. But I found it this day that everyone was just so not willing to believe that these heart conditions could be the cause of what I'm feeling. And I, I would keep saying it like, I know we're looking at everything, but like, hey, I have these two things and like, we might want to think about this and no one would acknowledge it. And so this one specific doctor was a pulmonologist and I was explaining my symptoms to him and I was saying, you know, I feel short of breath. I feel like something's sitting on my chest. You know what it's like when you have those spasms Mm -hmm. and you just feel like you're like, breath is taken away. And that's what I was explaining. And he's just like thinking about it from a pulmonology perspective and is like, well, your blood gases are normal and your saturations are normal. And just like looking at it that way. And I'm like, no, but this is what it feels like. It feels like I can't breathe. And he's like, well, you can because everything's showing that you can. And it just felt very dismissive. And he actually said, well, you know, those of us in healthcare, we tend to make a big deal out of things. And I was just like, no, I stopped him. And I said, I'm not making a big deal out of nothing. Like I know my body well, and this is not normal for me. So he leaves and my husband and I are like, that was weird. Like it just felt really off. And he was leading my care because I was admitted with breathing issues. So he was the one Mm -hmm. ordering the consults and all that. And I was like, this just doesn't feel right. Like he clearly doesn't believe that anything's going on with me. Mm -hmm. So I had access. Now I can say it's fine. I don't work there anymore. I had access to (laughs) my, my medical chart through a job that I had. So I was like, I'm really interested to see what he wrote in his note about me because I just have a feeling that like, it's not going to be what Mm -hmm. is going to be helpful to me. So I read it and he wrote, the patient seems to have a difficult time explaining her symptoms. (gasps) This is strange, especially for a nurse. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he doesn't believe me. He doesn't believe a word I'm saying. He's basically saying, she's a nurse. Is she a nurse? Cause this is bizarre. And I'm just thinking, this is what everyone that comes to see me during this hospital stay is going to read. And I know I'm not being paranoid from that moment on every console I had felt so dismissive. It was like, they already had that heads up from him. Yeah. Uh, she's exaggerating. And this isn't real. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And it was the most frustrating experience because like I said, as you know, when you have those spasms going on, there's no there's no imagining pain to that severity or, you know, not being able to breathe in that way. Mm -hmm. And to have someone just flat out being like, this does this sounds bogus. And then everybody from there on believing him was just so demoralizing. And so that whole rest of the hospital stay was essentially pointless because I just had a bunch of people coming in basically telling me like, Oh, well, your tests are normal and everything's fine. But you can breathe. You're like, but I'm in pain. Yeah. (laughs) It shouldn't be in pain when I'm breathing. Yeah. And not even a, ne- a year later needing open heart surgery. So it was like, <laughs> like if that had, if I had been someone that didn't know, right, right. And didn't understand it, hadn't gone through what I went through with endo and, and let the road end there and say, well, they said everything's fine and, and I'm okay. I don't know what would have happened to oh, me. Oh, I do. If I didn't, you would have died. Right. I would have been dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but like, I know. Right. And, yeah. and I have to explain yeah. to listeners, we laugh about this because where I'm the most not believed is with my heart health. And that's because yes. women aren't believed in general with heart stuff, but black people are not believed with heart stuff. So we have to deal with both of those yeah. things. And so we're overreacting when yeah. something serious is absolutely happening. Like, and I'll say this on this podcast forever. If I didn't have Dr. Watt, 
my cardiologist, believe me from day one, I would have been, I would have never been diagnosed with coronary artery spasms. I would have had a heart attack and I would have died. And he straight up saved my life. So now I have the medication that I can take daily. We have nitroglycerin that we have to keep with us. We have all of these things so that we can navigate stuff. And I'm lucky I'm not in a situation where I don't have to have open heart surgery, you know, and I, we could say that with humor and laughter, but I know you are happy that I don't have to go through that because structurally I'm fine because you have mitral stuff, which is, you got to go in and and help it, but structurally I'm fine. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that my arteries, my arteries could just not want to open back up again. And that could be Mm -hmm. the end of my life. Yes. It's, it's life threatening. And that's the thing is it's, it's shocking to me that something that serious Mm -hmm. can be dismissed. Yeah. And if something that serious can be dismissed, there is no, I mean, for people that have less, less severe things, there's, there's no hope for them. If chest pain isn't taken seriously. Uh, No, absolutely. And that's why it's like, it's really important for anyone who has any health issues to look at your after visit summaries, essentially your notes. It's not your detailed notes that providers have, but if there's something missing that you asked for, or a next step that they told you, you want to do, and it's not on that after visit summary, you want to call, you want to contact, you want to hold them accountable. I always recommend emailing. You can call, but I also recommend emailing the doctor because then that's a paper trail of, hey, why haven't you ordered this referral or this surgery or this procedure or test or whatever it may be? Because that's really important. Before we go, can you tell folks about your book, your awesome book? Yeah. Um, part <laughs> of you, not all of you. Yeah. So... Part of you, not all of you, was a pandemic passion project. <laughs> I think, like I think, like so many people, the free time gave them the space and the and the ability to to do the things that they've been saying they were going to do. And I'd been saying for a long time that I wanted to write a book, but I didn't really flesh out exactly what direction I wanted to go in. And and I knew I wanted it to be something that would be helpful to other people. I didn't feel like a memoir was the direction because I felt like we had enough of those about like endometriosis specifically. So then I really thought about it. So during the pandemic, I actually had found a journal that I had started when I first started my chronic illness journey. And it was the same journal that I'd used over the years. So it spanned about five or six years. And I read through it and I was just like so moved at what I had been through and what I'd overcome and looking at where my head was in certain times and like forgetting how big something felt and looking back and being like, I don't remember that. And at this time, clearly this felt like my entire world world was going to end. And I just thought it was really interesting to have that documented. And it like, one, it encouraged me that, you know, hard times don't last forever. And then two, it, it was clear that I needed that space to get all of this stuff out. And so I was looking through all the journals I have. I have so many different ones. I rely on journaling heavily, but I found that I have like niche journals for different areas of my life. So I had one that was faith focused and then one that was self-care focused. And I was like, I wonder if there's anything specific for like chronic illness Mm -hmm. and did some searching and didn't really find anything specific to that and was like, we need one. So I'm going to create one. (laughs) And that's kind of what ignited this project. And I wanted it to be something where we talked about support along our journey. And and I've always been blessed enough that I had physical support. And but I know there's a lot of people that like don't have that that don't have anyone to kind of just unload on or encourage them. And I wanted to be able to like walk alongside people who don't have that, but also give them a space to just feel and work through whatever they needed to on their own as well. 
So I kind of thought of this idea of it being half memoir, half journal, half self-help, <laughs> so to speak. And it's kind of just this collection of things. It's words of wisdom from amazing people like you, <laughs> who have also walked a, a journey of chronic illness in some way, and little pearls of wisdom from people like yourself that I find so helpful along the way. There's some words of encouragement for myself. There's prompted journal questions that I think dig pretty deep about some themes in the chronic illness world, such as grief, loss of identity, relationships, these things that are really specific to this life that we don't really have resources to work through. We don't. And so, yeah, they, they just don't exist. And so I, I wanted to create something that people could could just work through these really hard, hard things, but also celebrate the successes too. A place yeah. to write, you know, accomplishments and celebrate wins and just kind of have it be this this little really safe space to process it all. Absolutely. I am going to read my words of inspiration, which I, <laughs> which I haven't read in a while. So this will be interesting. So I wrote living with a heart condition with the daily pain, endless appointments and medications. I've learned that I am amazing. Oh, that sounds right for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> I'm able to live my life to the fullest, even with a broken heart. I actually don't think much about good days. I'm very in the moment at all times. Early on when I was like, I'm having a good day within an hour, that would change. I would get a horrible heart spasm. So now I just do what brings me joy. If that means working out, great. If it's binging on a show, great. If it's crying, great. I focus on joy. As a result of my diagnosis, I'm able to be my true authentic self. I have to be more transparent as I have an invisible illness. And with that, I've become able to be transparent about everything. The best compliment I receive is when someone says, I'm my true authentic self. Oh, that's cute. Good job. Akira. I love that. I have to say, and I'm not just saying it because we're here. Yours is one of my favorites <laughs> in the book because it's there's just so much wisdom in that. And I just love it so much. But that was only with maybe three conditions. And now I have 10. Mm -hmm. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. No, I, I see how I am now. I mean, I do what I can to focus on joy. I give none of the fucks. None of the fucks. You're going to get this <laughs> car choreography. You're going to get me walking around a line because people don't realize someone else is helping. Like, you know, I just I don't waste my life and I don't waste my mm -hmm. energy and I don't pretend that I feel good and I don't pretend that I'm happy. Like I just I'm just very present. And like I said in here in the moment and amazing. Yeah, I think that I think it works. It resonates. <laughs> it's time. It's timeless. It's timeless advice. It's timeless inspiration. Ti it really is. Yeah. I really loved how you talked about how, you know, you're your most authentic self because like you don't really have a choice but to be. And I no. think that that's something that's so important for our community to recognize that like there's not enough energy to like fake it for anybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? To show up as anything but yourself. Absolutely. People ask me that all the time. And I was like, I almost died. So that changed my perspective. And I understand mm -hmm. that's a fast track into being my true authentic self. But when you have that moment happen, it's a completely different perspective. Like you just, you think differently. So I have nothing to lose mm -hmm. with that. And the fact that I can die at any moment in time. And I can say it very casually sometimes. And other times I cry when I think about it. But that's my lived experience. And that's my reality. And so I just show up as my true authentic self every day. And I get there's a, my cheat code is death. but. 
<laughs> you know, I live and lean into that, which is why grief, we'll have to have you back again to talk about grief and how that shows up with living with chronic illness and or disability, because it's a daily, it's a daily thing that that comes up, which is why I think I do what I can to lean into being my true authentic self. But with that said, how are you going to bring softness into this week for you? Oh, so I realized that my schedule was too full. Um, so I canceled, I canceled a lot of things. I took a lot of dots off of my calendar and that immediately just allowed me to just breathe and leave space for things that I want to do and not that I have to do. So that's how I'm going to do that. I love that. I apparently am going to have to have forced rest since I'm getting a cold, hopefully not COVID. Um, and so that's how I will oh, be. <laughs> I will be leaning into my softness. Well, that is it for today's episode. Be sure to join the Soft Black Women Club by leaving us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify and follow the Betcha Sub podcast wherever you're listening. We'll have new episodes of Soft Black Women every single Friday. So be sure to subscribe now so you don't miss our next episode. You can follow me at Change Today, and that's the word change, C-A-D-E-T. And you can follow at Betches underscore news on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, stay soft and keeping amazing. Thanks, Jenna. Thank you. Soft Black Woman is produced by Amanda Duberman, Rebecca Salzmacat, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Rebecca Salzmacat. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and send us your emails on SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.